but he decided to use it for Jesus. Well, apparently we found in the uh, archives that someone had uh, uh, interviewed Joseph afterwards and said, Joseph, why is it that you use such an expensive tomb for, for, for someone not even in your family? That cost you a lot of money. Why did you do that? He said, it's all right. He just needed it for a weekend. <laughs> just needed it for a weekend. That's all. Glory to God. He was, he's out pretty soon. And this is the Sunday that we celebrate him being raised to life. Glory to God. So many other people have founded religions and you can go visit their tomb. But the tomb of our Savior is empty. Glory to God for that. John chapter 19, if you would turn over there. We're going to begin over at verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck him with his hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And, of course, that was important because on this, on this uh, preparing for this feast, the lambs were brought before the priest and they were examined to make sure that they were blameless because you could not bring a blemished lamb to this sacrifice. It had to be one that was considered to be blameless, judged to be blameless. And so Jesus went before Pilate and they judged him. I find no fault in him, so go ahead and kill him. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But that's what they did with the lamb. There's no blemish in this lamb. Therefore, this lamb can be a sacrifice. And so Jesus was that sacrifice. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold, the man. He's hoping that this is enough. We've scourged him. We put this crown of thorns on him. We were hoping that this is enough. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. It makes no sense. What Pilate is trying to say is, I'm not going to crucify him. I'll give him to you. You guys crucify him, but I'm not going to do it. But when he, you hear what he says, you know, sometimes people just don't listen to the words that they say. We've heard that with people, you know, and they hear things that they say in the news. And you think, did you ever think about that before you said that? <laughs> well, this may be one of, those, one of those times. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Now, Pilate could have stopped right there and followed some of the examples that some of the other people did when they simply said, this is a matter concerning your law, not ours. If it's a matter concerning Roman law, we would judge this, but it's not a matter of Roman law. It's a matter of your law. Therefore, you take care of it. And they just washed their hands of the whole thing. If you're over here in our Wednesday night series on the series of Acts, we've uh, covered a few of those. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid Pilate may be in a position of power, but right now he's motivated by fear. He's moved a lot by fear. And went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Seems that most people that are in fear want to remind folks how much power they have. You'll find that many more examples than just here. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. 
From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not, a, you, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he said to the Jews, Behold your king, but they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away and led him away. We went into the scripture after this on Good Friday. And he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. We talked about why that is called that. If you weren't here for that, we'll have that up on the Internet soon enough for you. But we saw that a certain man was called in to bear his cross. And that John made sure that we were aware of the fact that in the beginning, Jesus carried the cross himself. And that Simon was brought into place to, to bear that. We went back over to the type, which, of course, went back to Abraham and Isaac. And in Abraham and Isaac, we saw the details of the story. That upon Isaac was put the wood of the sacrifice. And then Isaac was laid upon the wood. With Jesus, the wood of the cross was put upon Jesus. And then Jesus was put upon the wood. It's a detail that apparently the word of God was very, made very plain to us and brought these things out. Isaac was the type of Jesus who was to come. But here we're focusing more on Pilate. And you'll see that Pilate has something that he wants to do. He wants to let Jesus go. But the chief priests, the, the spiritual leaders, the, the Jews, they don't want Jesus to go. They want him to be killed. And there's pressure on Pilate to do something. And he's feeling afraid for some of the things that are going on. So he wants to send Jesus away but because he, he finds no fault with him. But they want him crucified. He even sent him to Herod. Thinking, well, I'll send him to Herod. Maybe Herod will let him go. And then I'm off the hook. Well, that didn't happen. Herod sent him back. So that problem wasn't taken care of. His wife even tells Pilate, uh, don't have anything to do with this man. That's over in Matthew chapter 27. Turn over to verse 15. We'll read the, the story here. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. He's a fun study just in himself, but we're not here to talk about, look at uh, Barabbas. Therefore, when they gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Well, he took them the worst one. He's thinking, we'll take the worst guy. If we put the worst guy out there, they're not going to want him released. It took us a while to get him. He was killing people. He was doing all sorts of stuff. Surely they won't want him released. They'll want Jesus back because they knew Jesus was healing people, setting people free, demons cast out, teaching people, feeding people. It was a good thing. Barabbas was not a good thing. Surely the people will let me off the hook here and they'll say, release to us Jesus. Verse 18, it says, for he knew they had handed him over because of envy. He knew that. They were envious of that. Folks, beware of envy. Envy can get you into a place where you would kill even the Son of God. We've got a lot of things going on in the media today. We've pinpointed them many times. 
trying to get people to be envious of what other people have, what other people do. Don't become envious. Be content in whatever state you are in. That's what the Word of God tells us to do. And God will expand you. God will move you on. But you don't have to take from anyone else in order for you to have more. God made a big earth. And there's enough resources in this earth for everyone to be rich. You don't have to take from anyone else. Just let God bless you. And as, as God blesses other people, don't be envious. Be glad. Glory to God, they got blessed. That's what your attitude should be. You should be rejoicing. You should be glad in that these folks weren't. They got into envy, and it caused them all kinds of problems. Even to the point that they said you should not heal on the Sabbath, but it was perfectly fine for them to go out and plot how to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. That's weird. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So even his wife is warning him, leave this alone. Do not get involved. Stay away from this. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. That had to be a shock to him. Really? You want this murderer to go? Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. We've talked about that before. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, of course, Barabbas is again even a type of us because we got off because Jesus went to the cross. The most vile of all criminals in Barabbas represented us. (laughs) And we got off because Jesus went to the cross. If Barabbas had been punished and Jesus was set free, we'd still be in a mess. So that's, uh, that's not what, what Pilate was trying for, but certainly we can see that that's how that had worked out. So he tries to release Jesus, and the prisoner release they do at the feast, but that didn't quite uh, go as, as he had planned. So Pilate knows what he wants to do, but, there is pre- but pressure is moving in on him. Pressure is all around. He's feeling pressure from his wife. Don't get involved. He's feeling on the inside, this is what I want to do. I want to let him go. He's feeling pressure from the religious rulers who really have absolutely no authority over him at all. None. He answers to Rome. He does not answer to them. He answers to Rome. But he's afraid that they could say something to Rome to get Rome mad at him because this guy is uh, accused of being a king. So he's feeling pressure from all different directions and what he wants to try and do is just wash his hands of the whole thing. Well, I'm just not going to do anything. How many times have we been in pressured situations? We are feeling pressured to do something. We're feeling pressured to move. We're feeling pressured to respond. We're feeling pressured to react. We're feeling pressured to buy something, to not buy something. We're feeling pressure to, to do things. 
and I, I know I, I don't want to do this. I feel on the inside of me. I want to go this way, but I'm feeling pressure. If I don't do this now, you know, this deal's going to go away. You know, you watch those infomercials. The next 50 people. What are they trying to do? Pressure. We've got to get you under pressure. We've got to get you to move now. The next 50 people. We'll double the order. <laughs> Of course, after they get done the first 50, and then they're probably on to the next 50 people, and then the next 50 people, and then the next 50 people, and they'll just keep on going. They just want you to buy the thing, whatever it is. Uh, I still get amazed at some of those things they put on those infomercials. How can they buy the commercial and sell the thing for 10 bucks? <laughs> I get amazed at some of those things and what they're doing with that, but that's what they do. So Pilate knows what he wants to do, but pressure is moving him in another direction. Pressure, I'm putting this into, I'm giving you two direction pressure comes from. Two sources that pressure will come from. You may think on this and come up with another, a third, a fourth, and that's fine. Add to it if you want to. I thought about it. It seems to me that everything seems to come in within two areas pressure comes from. Here's the first one. Fears. This is what we see with, with Pilate. He's fearing something. He's fearing maybe that he loses his favor with Rome if he doesn't handle the situation right. He's fearing what happens because his wife has said, don't do this. And you know what happens if a spouse says to you, don't do this, and you do it, and it doesn't work. <laughs> so there's a fear there. Fears, he, he's feeling that several things happen that cause Pilate to be increasing in fear. As we said, his wife's words, the, the Jews, the law that the Jews mentioned. For some reason, when they mentioned that law, it caused him to fear even more. That's what the word of God tells us. We don't know that it's justified or that he should. How many of y'all know that most fears are not justified? Most fears are not rational. When you're young and you are afraid of the thing underneath your bed. And your parents take you out of the bed. Show you under the bed. Nothing's there. Put you back in the bed and you are once again afraid of what is under the bed. Or you're afraid of the noise out in the hall. Or you're afraid. You, you, things come up. You're just afraid. Why? I don't know. I just think it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. You become afraid. There's no rational reason for it. You're just afraid. You ever hear about that guy who used to go do the tightrope tight walk along the uh, all kinds of things? He'd string them up between buildings. He would string them up between bridges. He would string them up between or over top of Niagara Falls. And he gets on top of Niagara Falls and he goes back, he's, he goes back and forth doing all kinds of things along the way. And one time he took a wheelbarrow and he took that wheelbarrow and took it all the way across the falls and got to where the people were and people all applauded all yet. And he said, do you think I can do it again? And they all said, sure. Yeah, you can do it again. He said, all right, which, one's, which one of you is going to get in? <laughs> and nobody got in. Nobody got in. See, I'm, I'm okay with you going over, but I'm not okay with me and you going over. <laughs> That's our, We get these fears that come up. There's no rational reason for the fear, but it just comes up on the inside of us, and we're just afraid. Why, why are you afraid? I don't know. I'm just afraid of that. I, I, I don't like that. Whatever it might be, I, I don't like it. How many of you have, are afraid of mice? Is there any rational reason to be afraid of mice? 
Okay, some of you are thinking some rational reasons right now, right? <laughs> the, mice, the mice is smaller than you are. He does not have really, really good teeth. He, he can't sink much into you. He, he, that tail is useless. It's not going to hurt you. They don't really have claws. The, the, the mouse cannot hurt you, really. Now, you could, you could know that. You could see how you know, the anatomy of the mouse. You could see the, uh, the little tiny teeth. They're not much there, and he's, he's not really uh, going to come after you and bite you. You can know all that. But when the mouse shows up, what do you do? We're out of here. We are out of here. We are not trying to find the mice. We are just, we are out. <laughs> We're gone. We are not trying to be rational about this thing. We're afraid of mice. I don't know why, but apparently there's a good reason. And we go. Spiders, the same thing. I love the picture my daughter put up on Facebook. That was just, I still think about it every once in a while. It's just absolutely astounding. The house is completely engulfed in flames. And the caption is, it's okay. I think I got the spider. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's, a, that's just a great picture. Of, uh, uh, but fears can get hold of us, and they can get you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. And you, we don't need to have those things going on. We've got to overcome those fears. How do you overcome the fears? It's not a fun. It's not fun to overcome fear, right? Because in order to overcome fear, you have to, got to face it. You've got to get involved with the thing that is causing the fear. Rick Renner, if you've never heard Rick Renner tell this story, he, he's, he is a storyteller. He is a wonderful, he's probably the best storytelling pastor I ever heard. I, I've heard him tell the same story 10, 15 times, and every time, I'm on the edge of my seat, tell me again. Tell me again. I love the way he tells the stories. I've heard this story, I don't know how many times. He talks about this story. I don't even remember where the bridge is. But there's this huge bridge over this gorge, and he's completely afraid of heights. At least he was. Completely afraid of heights. Does not like them. And so they took the whole family. He's got the, the little ones there. He's got mom there. And he's there. And we're all going to go walk over the bridge. People all over are walking over this bridge. Hundreds of people walking over the bridge. He gets on it. I'm going to do this. I am going to do it. He gets up there to walk over the bridge. And he starts walking over the bridge. And he can't do it. He, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just, I'm, I'm scared. I can't. And he walks back. He, he gets back and he waits for his family on the end. Little boy. Little, little boy. Walking across. Hi, Dad. <laughs> no trouble. Wife walking across. No problem. Where is he? Watching. The safety on the... He just couldn't do it. So he... Uh, next time they went, he got a little braver and he, he went out a little bit further. But still, fear got a hold of him. He came back. And so um, he found somebody who was a preacher, and they were going by this thing, and he interviewed them in a way. And he was kind of finding out, you know, what kind of things you're afraid of. And it, he sort of picked up, and I think this guy's going to be scared of this thing too. And so they went up to the bridge, and the, the guy, instead of being afraid of it, let's go across. And he looked at him and says, are you nuts? I didn't bring you here to go across. I brought you here so that you would confirm that this is something to be afraid of. No, no, no. Let's, let's go across. And he's encouraging him. You can do this. You can do this. I can't do this. And so he says, hey, close your eyes and I'll guide you across. So he, he closed his eyes. He kept his, kept his eyes closed. And they walked across. And he's just scared. He's sweating up a storm. Just scared. You know, you're, you're, you're almost there. 
You're almost, he, he keeps on walking, keeps on walking. Finally, they get to the other side. He takes the blindfold off. I made it. I did it. I got across the bridge. And he says, good. Now let's go back. <laughs> we we got to go back. He was not ready for that one. It was, that was scary. But, you know, you got these fears that can get hold of you. And there's no rational reason, and no one can talk you through them. You're just afraid of it. Some people are afraid of thunderstorms. Some people love thunderstorms. It just depends on where it is. Some people don't like fire. Some people love fire. Some people don't like guns. Some people love guns. It just depends on on what it is. What is it that causes fear to rise up on the inside of you? Well, Pilate has a whole lot of things that are rising up on the inside of it, and fear is trying to move him to do what he doesn't want to do. Now, here's the thing. You've got a man here who wants to let Jesus go. His wife wants him to let Jesus go. But still, fear is rising up on the inside of him. And we all know the end of the story. He's not going to let Jesus go because of fear. He's got this fear. It's building up. This is a place where, where, where pressure comes from. It's fear. You feel pressure to do or to not do something because of fear. In John, the Gospel of John, in verse 7, uh, chapter 19, it's another rendition of the, the story. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to all law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He was the more afraid. Fear is getting a hold of him. He's got a fear of doing something that maybe Rome will disapprove of. And that's where his authority comes from. So fear is something that will create pressure on the inside of you to do something against what you want to do. It can be a fear of a thing or a fear of missing out. Or a fear of losing something. Or a fear of something happening. It can be all kinds of fear, but fear is the motivation there. Here's the second one. First one is fear. Fears. The second one is peers. Fears and peers. This is what causes pressure. Now, you can think of other things, maybe, but I think most of them are still going to fall down in these categories. It's either fears or peers. Now, peers won't make you be afraid, but you just want to fit in. I want to be liked by them. I want to fit in with them. I don't want to be left behind with them. I want their favor. Sometimes uh, peers and fears can be the same. You can have a fear of what peers are saying about you, but many times they can be different. In John chapter 19, in verse 12, From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Uh, Your peers. (laughs) You're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, he may also feel a little bit of a peermanship from the Jewish leaders, but he shouldn't be. The Jewish leaders are under him. They are not peers. They are under him. But the Jewish leaders here, they know how to push his buttons. You ever have people know how to push your buttons? Some people know you well enough, they just know how to push your buttons. Well, they know how to push Pilate's buttons. They knew this was a hot button with him. They knew that he is sensitive about Rome not accepting him. So they just, they pulled that one out of the hat. But the Jewish leaders here, they don't stop at Pilate. 
They also stir up the crowd. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 6, Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And you get a little more detail about who Barabbas is. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. The chief priest had gone through the crowd and, and said things, ask for Barabbas. Jesus is so bad. Ask for Barabbas. And so they all began to ask for Barabbas. Now, in the crowd, we've talked about this before, but just remember, in the crowd, you got people that Jesus healed. You got people that Jesus cast demons out of. You got people in the crowd who have relatives that Jesus either healed or cast demons out of. You might even have people in the crowd who have a relative or a friend who was raised from the dead under Jesus' ministry. You've got a lot of folks in the crowd who listen to Jesus teach. You might even have some people in that crowd who are around when he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000. In that crowd, these are not all strangers to Jesus. Jesus has been in town many times. And people are in town from all over the country for the feast. From all different places where he had been and he administered, there are people that are in the crowd. These are people that Jesus interacted with. We only have a handful of the stories. But even in the handful of the stories, how many times are we told that they brought a multitude of people to him who were sick and demon-possessed, and Jesus healed a few of them? Most of them. Oh, how many? All. If you have a multitude, and he healed them all, and you have another multitude, and he healed them all, and you have another multitude, and he healed them all. What are the odds that some of those people are in the crowd? And those people that are in the crowd are either in the group that are crying for Barabbas. And that would hurt, wouldn't it? I don't think Jesus isn't mindful of who it is that he ministered to. If he's mindful of people's thoughts, he's mindful of who it is he healed, ministered to, taught, whatever it might be. They're either in the crowd saying, Barabbas, Barabbas, what should we do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. They're either in that group or they're in a group that's being quiet and not saying anything. How many, if you did some things like that for people, do you'd like them to stand up for you in a time like this? But apparently they weren't doing that. You see, they were giving in to pressure too. The fear of the multitude that was around them, the fear of the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees, there were fears, and there were peers, and the pressure got to them, and they decided to go along and not buck the trend, not buck the crowd. They all cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 14, Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. They, you can't reason with them. But what has he done? Crucify him. They're not even going to come to terms. They're not even going to say what the facts are. They're saying, what has he done? We don't care. Crucify him. Crucify him. That's all. We don't need to have a trial. We don't need to have a reason. I put a note in my, my outline here. It's not in yours. 
If you do not know who you are or are not confident in it, those you are supposed to be over become your peers. You need to be confident of who you are. If you are not comfortable and confident and know who you are in Christ, then the people who are not in Christ can become your peers. They're not supposed to be. You're supposed to rule and reign in this life, not be brought down by the folks that are of Satan's kingdom. But too often we are. Matthew 27, verse 20, 20, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Another passage, Luke 23, verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I, have, I find no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. You brought to me these accusations. I've checked him out in your presence. And there is no evidence for it. No, neither did Herod. He said Herod looked at him for the same charges and he found no, no problem with him. They all cried out in verse 18, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. They kept crying out. Verse 23, if you jump down to there. But they were insistent. Here, well, verse 22, they, what evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But in verse 23, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. How many times have you had arguments, conversations, discussions with people? And when they can't get the facts across, they just get louder. You know, I guess if I get louder with what I'm saying, that you'll hear it. <laughs> it does, they did it back in. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. The louder you get, the more it just shows you you have nothing to say. If you had something to say, you'd bring the evidence. And the people who bring evidence can be very calm about it. But this is what is happening. But we don't want to do that. We're going to find that after Jesus goes away, shortly after, that Peter and John are before the council and commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 4. They were being pressured to not preach in this name. And they responded, well, you tell me, should we obey you or should we obey God? <laughs> we're going to obey God. We're going to obey God. We're going to do that. Why? Because they weren't in fear. They didn't see them as their peers. They're not trying to be in favor with them. Look, we don't need your favor. We don't need you to like us. And we're not afraid of you. If you, if you get rid of the peers and the fears, there is no pressure. And if you go back to Acts chapter 4 and you read it, you will find out these guys are relaxed. Like, hey, we're fine. <laughs> do what you want. We're not going to do it. We are not going to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas go from gods to villains. They saw them as gods. They wanted to worship them. And they said, no, 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 we're men. We're men. We're men. We're just men. We're just here telling you about God. And then, you know, it wasn't even a week. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a day. The next day, they're ready to kill him. And they actually stone Paul and take him outside the city. Everybody thinks he's dead. He gets up. He very likely was dead. He got up, walks back into the city. <laughs> In Acts chapter 19, Demetrius, one guy, gets upset because they're not selling as many idols as they used to. So he stirs up the whole crowd against Paul. 
to create pressure. Now, Paul doesn't give into it. Paul's immune to this kind of pressure, to peers and fears. In fact, later on, as we've been in the section we're at now, people are telling him, you're going to die. You're going to be in chains. You're going to be in prison. He says, so? <laughs> I am ready to die. I am ready to be in chains. This is not a big deal. Why do you guys try to move me with all your tears? That's what he says to them. See, he wasn't susceptible to fears, nor the peers. They weren't, they weren't affected. Now, just, just stay on this way. Why are most people afraid of snakes? Most of us are afraid of snakes because of the business end. Right? The two little fangs that come out. Now, not all snakes are poisonous. But how many are, are snake experts? Now, nobody. Yeah. That's the problem most of us run into. When we're out there in the woods, we see a snake. What do we think? It's poison. He's got some venom. I know he wants to put that venom in me. I just know it. He's going to come over. He's going to bite me. Whatever it is. I, do, I am not a snake expert. I'm, nowhere near, I'm not even a snake amateur. I know a little bit about snakes. I know the most poisonous snake down in Florida, the Carl snake. You get bit by that, you don't have time to get to the dock. But you see, he doesn't want to bite you. He wants to get away from you. He's a very timid snake. It's very hard to get him to bite you. You've got to work at it. He doesn't want to. He wants to get away from you. He does not want to kill you. Now, if you get a cotton mouth, they just may get mad at you and want to bite you because that's just their nature. Um, you know, the, the, we've, I've had a few, fortunately, not many. I've had a few snake stories. And uh, my, uh, one of my first ones encountering, a, we had a water moccasin who was coming up to the raft. We were rafting down the, the, uh, the river here in Lehigh long, long time ago, back when I was in youth group. So it was a long time ago. And we had somebody on there who was uh, trying to fight off the snake. And so they took the paddle that we had, and they were hitting the snake with the paddle. Well, that wasn't working very well. But on one time, when he went down and hit the snake, he caught the snake in it. And when he came up, the snake went up in the air. <laughs> right up in the air and came right down in the raft. <laughs> right down in the raft. We were now in, this, in the raft with a water moccasin. Now, I don't know about all water moccasins, but I know that most of them are venomous. And I didn't have any time to do anything with it because I was on the opposite end of the water moccasin. He came down on that end of the raft. I was on this end of the raft. And everyone in the raft came to my end of the raft. <laughs> and I was pinned. I could go nowhere. A couple of people decided to vacate the raft. That they had a better shot in the water than in the raft. And so uh, it was fun. We did eventually uh, capture the, the uh, venomous creature and put him in a bucket and took him over to the authorities. And they said, yep, that was a water moccasin. And uh, that was my, one of my closest encounters with this. I've had a few others. Um, I, don't, I don't love snakes. You know, I don't, I don't want to keep them. I don't want to have them in the house. Uh, you know, if you don't like snakes, how many would say that you don't like snakes? And I would tell you the best cure for snakes. You ready for this? If you want to have no snakes in around your house at all, here is the best cure for a snake. Go out and get yourself a king snake. Okay? King snake. He's a big snake. He's a big snake. 
Get yourself a king snake and just set him outside in your yard. Let him play under the house. Something like that. Okay? You don't like that idea? Okay, well, I just, that's the best thing you can do. You see, a king snake eats other snakes. Plus rodents and things like that. But he eats other snakes and he's perfectly harmless. He won't harm you at all. Well, I know you don't believe me. You see that snake out there. All right, we've, we'll get off on the snakes here. <laughs> but, you know, but, but snakes, they, we don't know what they, I don't, I don't know what it is. Is it a rattlesnake? Is it a water moccasin? Is it a cottonmouth? What kind of, is it a garter snake? I mean, what kind of snake is it? And I don't know because I don't know what am I. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm scared. Even if you tell me it's a harmless snake, how many are still afraid of that snake? You might be wrong. I think you could be wrong. <laughs> so I don't trust you with, the, with that. You see, Demetrius, he comes in and he just spreads this venom. And people are not afraid of it. Like you would be a snake. You see a snake, you'd run away. But Demetrius and the Pharisees and the leaders, they come in amongst the group, ask for Barabbas. Demetrius, let's, let's, let's kill him. And no one sees it as venom. No one's afraid of him. Oh, so they bring him right on in. There's no problem. Fears and peers. You get rid of those two things, the need for the peers, your peers to like you, in fear of losing something. And just have confidence that God has given you everything that you need. Just rest in that. God, you have given me everything I need. There is nothing out there that if I don't act on right now, I'm going to lose. <laughs> if I need it, you'll get it for me. And that's it. Well, we got some modern day examples of this. It's not just something that went on in Jesus. We see it. I'm just giving you a couple of recent ones. You can think back and you can see this more. But we need to understand that this thing is venom. Don't bring it in. How many heard the story about Mozilla this week, the last week, last week or this week? Mozilla had a couple of founders, and one of the founders just took over the company as the CEO. Took it over as a company. He, found, he was one of the founders of the company and just took it over as the CEO. And somebody came out and said, oh, but this guy supported, I think he gave $1,000 or some amount of money to the um, Proposition 8 out in California. And they wanted his head. And so they squawked and they squawked and they squawked. And eventually Mozilla came out and said that they had relieved this man. I forgot his name already, but um, I can look it up for you if any of you want it. They relieved him of the CEO position because of the backlash of people. All he did was he sent money to a cause he believed in. That's all he did. But apparently sending money to a cause you believe in, folks, will get you branded. If it's a cause that certain folks don't like. And he had to lose his job because of money that he put in. And that was a lot of years ago. How long ago was Prop 8? It was a while ago. He was forced out of that job. The IRS, they've been in the news again. We know that they were blocking a bunch of political groups, specifically the Tea Party. I believe that 100% of all Tea Party groups were scrutinized, whereas about 30% of non-Tea Party groups were scrutinized. That's, in this, that's, a, uh, uh, that's an imbalance. That's not quite uh, where it should be. Not only were they doing that, they were harassing the donors of the people. They were auditing some of the donors. 
getting the idea that if you donate to causes we don't like, we will audit you. You open yourself up to this kind of a scrutiny. They were asking these Tea Party groups, as they branded them, but religious groups, what are the contents of your prayers? Lois Lerner, this is the things that she was doing. What are the contents of your prayers? Well, it's come out recently that she had sent emails to Eric Holder. Y'all know who Eric Holder is. Department of Justice um, sent emails to him wanting certain people to be prosecuted because of their beliefs. And some of the emails, just she was asking, can we prosecute people who have these kind of beliefs? Religious beliefs. Can we prosecute these people? And Eric Holder was working with her, even though he had denied it. That had come out. One of the guys who was on the board or the, the, the committee that was uh, deciding whether Lois Lerner had done anything wrong. Remember that group that she got in front of? On the advice of my attorney, I declined to answer any questions because they may incriminate me. All that sort of stuff that had gone on. Well, uh, Elijah Cummings apparently has been in cahoots with her. And he was on the group who was supposed to be checking her out. That just came out this week. Apparently, he was, uh, he was in contact with Lerner about a conservative group called True the Vote, even though he denied any of that. Global warming. If you're against global warming, what happens? If you're against the fact that man made global warming, what happens to you? Pressure comes on. And any group who does not believe and conform is ostracized, even though there has been no recorded global warming for 17 years even though none of the results that they predicted have happened, even though everything they use to predict it are models based on input that they give, which has been found to be faulty, made up. But still, this is what we do. How many are golf fans? Anybody a golf fan? No golf? A couple golf fans. All right. Bubba Watson won the Masters. Second time he won the Masters. Got the green jacket. That's a pretty good day. Took his family out to eat afterwards. You know where he went? He took them to the Waffle House. Took them to the Waffle House. And the news was up in arms because he took his family to the Waffle House. And began to pressure him because he should not take his family to the Waffle House. What business is it of the media whether they went to the Waffle House or not? But they they made a huge stink. It was all over the news. If you don't know about it, good. You shouldn't be watching them anyway. I didn't watch them. I had people who report to me, told me about it. I pay people that I don't have to watch the news. (laughs) Bubba Watson goes to the Waffle House, and they, they scrutinize him because he's at the Waffle House. I, I think it's because uh, they consider the Waffle House unhealthy food. I, I, I think that's what the reason of it was. I mean, why? Why? <laughs> the Waffle House. I mean, if you went to Hooters. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. If he took his family to Hooters. He didn't. He went to the Waffle House. In the entertainment area, Stephen Colbert. Apparently, we'll now be replacing David Letterman. There are a handful of people in this, a handful of people in this country who said, this isn't good. This is telling us the direction that the country is going in the entertainment business. 
And it is. I don't like the direction. I didn't watch Letterman. I don't plan to watch Colbert. I don't like his. I've heard a little bit. I've not seen his premiere. I've heard about it, and it's not something that would interest me. But apparently, anyone who criticized the selection of Stephen Colbert was crucified in the news and brought about about it. And I even heard one person who did, the, who did some stuff, stuff on it. And all I said was, you know, it's just the direction that they're going, the direction that they're taking it. It's not a good direction. And it's not. Pressure. There is pressure that is going on. And pressure will only continue. But you've got to get rid of the fears. And you've got to get rid of the peers. Because what pressure is going to do is the same thing that happened in that crowd with Jesus. It's either going to get you to say things that are wrong or say nothing about what is right. That's what pressure is designed to do. To get you to say what is wrong and conform with everyone else. Or to get you to say nothing about what is right. Either way, they're happy. If you say nothing about what is right, they're happy. If you say something and, and, and mirror, mirror what it is that they're saying about what is wrong. Think how many preachers are out there talking about sin in America? And that, well, you know, there's a number of ways that you can get to heaven. We're not going to say that Jesus is the only way. We're not going to say that uh, people who worship God in other ways are not going to get to heaven. That's wrong. That's conforming. That's being one of the ones in the crowd who says, give us Barabbas. There are people in this country who want to go on and talk about how people that are involved in certain lifestyles and sins will get to heaven. But the Bible comes out and says, no. What do you want to repeat? What the Bible says or what people want you to say? Pressure will try and get you to conform to where you need to say these things. And we have pastors and ministers and churches who have gone away from the doctrine they used to teach. To teach a doctrine of acceptance and inclusion. That everyone's going to heaven. God won't judge anyone. God's not sending anyone to hell. The pressure can keep us from speaking out. Don't let it keep you from speaking out. Or it can cause us to compromise what we believe. It's going to try and do one of two things. And until you comply and either deny what you know to be true and parrot the things that they're saying or say nothing about what you know to be true, until you follow one of those things, pressure will continue to come at you. Pressure will come. From peers, some people, we're just not in a place where the media even cares about us. But your peers do. People that you work with do. The people that are around you do. All in the hope of three things. There are three things we want to get out of this. First off, an easier life. We want an easier life. How many think your life is hard? I want an easier life. Things will go easier if I just go along and comply. To be liked, I want my peers to like me. And third, prosperity. People have been promised if you do, if you comply, if you go along with these things, we'll get you in with this crowd. We'll get you in with this group. They'll give you some business. Prosperity comes. We want an easier life. We want to be liked. We want prosperity. And these are the things that pull us in. I'm afraid I won't have that. I need these peers to be in my group. 
I need to be one of them in order to have these things. Here are three different places that you're going to find fears and peers. First off, it's from the community. Your community, where you are. It's going to be in the community. Where do you live, where you work, it's the community around you. Fears and peers can come from the community you're in. Second, it's from the enemy. The enemy stirs up people against us. The media gets stirred up by the enemy. They come after things. It's from the community. It's from the enemy. And last, it's from ourselves. We are fearful within ourselves without anyone else putting the fear in us. And we have that need on the inside of us to want our peers to like us. We'll feel this from the community that we are in, the enemy that is around, and from ourselves, from within. We've we got to take charge. We've got to take charge of our life. Don't yield to pressure, but the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not pressure you into a decision. He leads you. The enemy leads you. Fears lead you. Peers, I'm sorry, uh, the Holy Spirit that will leave us, lead us. These guys don't. They pressure you. They want to. They want to push you in this direction, not lead you. They want to push you here. You need to go here. You need to do. You need, you need to do it now. You need to stop doing that. It's pressure. It's pressure. It's pressure. God does not need the pressure. God says, "What I got is so good. You're going to want it. <laughs> Come on. It is so good. You are going to want this. Come on." No pressure needed. No pressure needed. Brother Jolly was speaking this morning about the joy that is set before us and to pursue it. Oh, that's what we need to do. Get that joy. God has a joy. People want joy. People want to be happy. That joy is right there with God. Go after him. He gave us this scripture too. 2 Corinthians 4.8. I didn't put it in your outline, but I added it into mine because I thought it was real good. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. Pressure will come, but we have to be greater than the pressure. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we are greater than the pressure of this world. We are greater than anything else around. It is more important that when we get to heaven, that God looks on us and is pleased, then if all the people in your community are pleased, it is better for them all to hate you and for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. <laughs> Enter into your rest. The crowd turned on Jesus because of pressure. Pressure, it comes from fears. And peers. How are you doing in standing up against that? Are you equipped? Are you ready? Do you know what the Word of God tells you to do? Are you ready to stand on that? Fears and peers. If you strip yourself, you're not able to get a handle on it. It can't get you. I don't know if you've ever played this game. But if you ever ran a pool, especially if you were your teens, college years, one of the fun games they would do in a pool, they'd take a watermelon and grease it up, put Vaseline or something all over it, toss it into the pool. 
And the idea was to jump in the pool. And whoever could grab the watermelon and get it out of the pool won. Easier said than done. When that sucker is greased up and in the pool and you're wet, you can grab hold of that watermelon and squeeze right out of your hand. And somebody else tries to grab it and squeeze it right out of their hand. Have a hard time getting it. If you can get rid of the handles of fears and peers, the tools the enemy has to use against you will be useless. And he cannot get you. He couldn't get Paul. He got Peter for a little while. But Peter shook it. And he could not get Peter again. He couldn't get John. John was immune. They eventually gave up on even trying to kill John. He died an old man. They couldn't kill him. They tried. They couldn't kill it. And he wasn't afraid. He wasn't going to stop. Elijah, he gave in to fear one time. We saw what happened. But most of the time, he resisted it. And he said, you want to kill me? Go ahead and try. Come on. Give me your best shot. We're going to send 50 guys to kill you. All right. Send them on over. Poof. They're all gone. Send another 50. Send another 50. Poof. They're all gone. Hey, send another 50. And the guy says, I'm going to be wise. On this one. Please. And we're not going to force you to do anything. Will you please come with us? Oh, yeah, sure. If the other guys would have asked. I would have gone with them too. <laughs> he didn't have any fear. If you have no fear and no need to be liked by the peers, the enemy has no way to get a hold of you. If the enemy is messing with you, if he's getting a hold of you, check your fears and your peers. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the example you give us in the word. Jesus stood there in the crowd and looked at all those people. So many of them, his memory was probably going back on. Yeah, that one was healed of this. That one was blind, now can see. That one was deaf and now can hear. And that one had demons and they're gone now. And that one, a friend of those, was raised from the dead. And here they are, cheering for Barabbas. It's amazing what we can do when pressure comes upon us. But without fears and without peers, pressure can do nothing. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to overcome fears and peers. We overcome in this life. And though people try and put pressure on us, we are immune. It doesn't grab hold. We thank you for the help that you give us in this, Father. We give you the praise and the glory for it. As we remember today, we remember that Jesus was brought to a place of great victory. But when he was before Pilate, neither fear nor peers was able to get a hold of him. Many were made in that image and followed after that. But some did not. We want to be among those who follow after that example. And overcome all fears and peers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go here this morning, we have some praise reports. If you did not fill out your praise report, you have a little bit of time here. Raise your hand up and Ray will be happy to get a praise report. What has God done for you this week? We know God's been busy. <laughs> um, I'm hearing this during the worship time and I wasn't sure why I was hearing it, but... Like never before, those words kept coming up in my heart, like never before. And um, as Pastor was talking about the pressure, there's pressure against the body of Christ like there's never been before. 
in every area of our lives. It's coming against us like never before. And this is what I heard the Holy Spirit telling me when we are sitting there. It says, put on counter pressure. <laughs> Don't just succumb to the pressure. Don't just succumb to the fact that, you know, if we're, if we're diligent about, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, being um, proactive, you know, don't wait for the assault to come. But if you keep on that counter pressure before it even starts, how do we do that? Like Jolly was talking about today, we look for the prize that's out there, but we do that by realizing we've got resurrection life inside of us. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've got power inside of us that a lot of times we don't even access it until the need arises, until we're faced with that pressure. But if we're being counter, if we're, we're counter pr- pressuring, if you will, in prayer, <laughs> that's, that's the biggest part there is put on the counter pressure through prayer. You know, we've got, the, we've got oh, so much power available to us, but we don't access it until it's like we have the need. You know, we need to be proactive about these things. The Holy Spirit said he will show us things to come. That's one of the, the um, jobs that he's been given when the, when the Lord gave them to us was, you're going to show my people things to come so that they're going to be prepared. They're not going to be taken off guard. When this thing comes around, they're going to go, I knew that was coming, and here's what I'm supposed to do about it. I knew that was going to be there, so I'm going to walk around it this way so that I don't fall into it. But a lot of times we don't do that. We sit back and we just wait and we go, oh, now I'm afraid. Now I'm being pressured by this one. I'm being pushed by that one. No. No, stand up and be ready. We can be ready. He says, walk like never before in the light of the word that we have. Too many Christians, and I get so frustrated when I hear this. I get Facebook messages by people left and right where they're getting offended. (laughs) They're getting upset. Christians have no business being offended. Let Let me just put that out there. We have no business being offended. We have no business walking in that. Yeah, that's it. The best defense is a strong offense. There you go. That's the word I was thinking, offense, being on the offense and not being on the defense. We have to be prepared for the things that the enemy has out there for us. God, God was, Jesus was, he knew. He said in the garden, he says, my time's here. It's okay. I know what's coming. And that's why he could stand and, and, uh, and, and take it without saying a word. You know, I just, I, that song you guys did just really did me in. I'll tell you. That's good. Praise God. What wondrous hmm. love he has for us. You know, he's, he's prepared everything. Uh, he's telling us, be ready. We can be ready. We can be armed and ready. Um, Corey gave a praise report today. Uh, he says, I applied for and was offered a better position with my company, with more responsibility, more hours, and much better pay. Glory Amen. to God. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. I was listening to somebody this week, and they were talking about um, uh, the blessed life and how, you know, many times people say they're just waiting for that check to come in the mail or, you know, they've been praying for finances. and this, But they don't ever see that God works through opportunities mm-hmm. like this. This is Amen. how the blessing is going to come, better mm-hmm. opportunities, better job, better pay. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Anybody else with a praise report? <laughs> 